this first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. See, what I love about this section in Luke, because we get the birth account both in Matthew and we get it in Luke. Luke is a guy that is a physician by trade, and he's very detail-oriented. In this section, we're reminded of his whole purpose of writing a gospel account. He said in Luke chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, he said his desire for writing a gospel was, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. He's writing detail after detail to say this is true. This is all real. He's writing, remember, after Jesus has died and rose again, he's writing it all. And he's saying through interview processes, we believe that Luke went and interviewed Mary, that he went and interviewed the apostles. He was in the scene. He knew these things and he put it all together. And it's important because it says here in verse 1 and 2 that there's some names, Caesar Augustus and Quirinius. If we go to history, these people really existed. And they really reigned in the places that it says that this is all happening. This is important because you can watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and say, this is a great story, right? Can I break the news today? That's not a true story. Do you know what is a true story? The birth of Jesus Christ. <laughs> These are real historical anchors that say Jesus was born and he came in the right place at the right time in history. You see, when it says Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus, also known as Octavian, he ruled from 27 BC to about 14 AD. He had a great... I'd say a great reign in the sense that it seemed like the whole world at the time belonged to him. Everyone was under that Roman Empire. And see, it says in verse, in verse uh, 1 here, all the world should be, should be registered. And then it says in verse 3, so all went to be registered. When Caesar said to do something, you did it. <laughs> Think about the context for a minute. Israel. God's chosen covenanted people, right? We've talked about this several weeks now in Romans. This Roman Gentile ruler says, you need to go do something, and God's covenant people have to obey it. Have you ever been in a spot where you say, man, this doesn't feel right. I'm in a wacky world in a place that I don't think this is what the Lord made it for. Do you ever think that God lost control of that situation somehow? Can I tell you that God is fully in control? Amen. We know. Childlike faith. I love it. She's like, nope. Amen. And so here's the deal. When you think about Israel being subjected to Roman rule and reign, remember why they want a Messiah. They said some guy over in Rome says that we have to go get registered. Why are they getting registered? To pay taxes. I don't know if you guys know this. There's a little government agency that we're familiar with that makes us pay our taxes every year too. But let me tell you the difference. That's our government. <laughs> There's a level where, hey, I'm not saying they're perfect by any means, but there's a reality that as we're paying our taxes, we understand, hey, this is our stuff. It's our things. We're involved. Imagine paying to a foreign government that says, you're our subjects. You belong to us. These are God's chosen people. And every time they have to go get registered, they're reminded of the fact that, man, this isn't right. <laughs> We want a Savior. We want a Messiah. And remember, they had the misunderstanding that the Messiah was coming to overthrow Rome, right? We know Jesus was coming. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. 
Repent. Jesus came the first time to deliver man from his sins. Amen? If Jesus comes the first time and establishes his kingdom, guess who goes in? Nobody. Because <laughs> our sin would still be intact. Jesus comes and pays the price for sin so that someday when he returns, just as prophecy has told us, we will be able to enter in. Amen? His birth is important. This is key. This is all real stuff that's happening here in this section. It's important to know because God has not turned a blind eye to the things of this world. He's sovereignly in control and even the mundane and practical things as, as, as almost silly as it seems, a tax census is what the Lord is going to use to begin the process of his prophesied Messiah being born in the right place. Have you ever thought about that? You may go to work this week and be like, man, this is all meaningless. I thought God had some glorious plan. Can I tell you, he works glorious things through very practical circumstances, amen? We're seeing that come together. Look at verse 4 through 7. It says, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So we said that Luke gives details. He's given us the historical details of the time, the historical anchors with Quirinius, with Caesar Augustus. He says why this was all happening. There was a, a registration for tax sake. Now he's getting into, I believe, the humble details of the birth of Christ. You see, it says in verse 4 that Joseph left his residence, his town that he was residing in, Nazareth, which is in the Gal uh, Galilee region, and he goes out to his ancestral town of Bethlehem. You see, in this case, if you were going to be registered for taxes, you had to go back to where your bloodline was. That's how Rome did this. And as David goes back, I'm sorry, Joseph goes back to the city of David, this is an important detail. Because we know in Matthew 1, it gives us the genealogy of Jesus through the legal line of Joseph. Joseph was a descendant of King David. In 2 Samuel 7.16, there was a messianic promise given to David. It said, and, I, and your throne and your kingdom will be established forever. Your house will be established forever before you. The promise was, I am going to send a king, a ruling person who will never, ever fade away. And you say, well, this means the Messiah. Israel understood this. The Messiah is going to come through the line of David. We also know that Mary's in this line, but they're both accompanied. They go back to this town, and it says that she was with child. This is important to note because my wife has had two children, and I know that life with a pregnant wife is difficult sometimes. Not because she's not sweet as everything, but guess what? Things are harder when someone is very pregnant, amen? Imagine being told you have to go somewhere 80 miles away and you ain't got a Tesla to drive there, right? You got to go and you got to go registered in this place that's 80 miles outside of your hometown and you have to do it. What I think is incredible is we're never told at any point Mary and Joseph are like, oh, this is so dumb. Why do we have to do this? Some commentators seem to think that if Mary and Joseph, if they've been revealed by the Lord through an angel that this is their son, that their son is that chosen one of Israel, they might be familiar enough with things like Micah 5.2. 
that says the Messiah is going to be born where? Bethlehem. I love this. The Messiah will be born there. And what is the Lord using to get them there at the right time? Again, a tax census. <laughs> You're like, oh, I can't believe I had to go to the DMV today. I can't believe I had to go to this thing. That you don't know what the Lord's told. Now, is the Messiah coming out of that? Probably not. But <laughs> we represent the Lord everywhere we go. Amen. The Lord has not lost sight of the things He's calling you to do. Some things seem so practical and light and small at the time that they're leading to the very things, I mean, prophecies that have been prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus had been born. In Micah 5.2 it said, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. It's important because, again, we're talking about humble details. Jesus didn't come from the fanciest of cities. He didn't come from the fanciest of tribes. He came from the smallest group, the most assumed to be small and insignificant. He came out of Bethlehem. And I think this is important. His, it says the days were completed in verse 6 for her to be delivered. God was in control in the perfect time, in the perfect place for Jesus to come. <laughs> Sometimes we start to panic and think that God is blind to our situation. That God has maybe stepped away. Man, this isn't what God had planned. They're probably thinking, we are going because a Roman person is making us travel 80 miles while pregnant to a weird place to go do this, right? And yet, they're doing it and the Lord says, this is the perfect place. <laughs> this is the perfect time. I love that phrase, completed the days. It reminds me of Galatians 4, 4 and 5. Paul said, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent His Son, sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. What that means is God, in the perfect timing, sent forth Jesus Christ, that we may receive the adoption into His family. Amen? God never lost control in any of this. People may have said, man, this doesn't seem right. We've been waiting for the Messiah for 700 years since Isaiah talked about it. We've been waiting for the Messiah since the garden in Genesis 3.15. That there would be one coming to crush the head of Satan. Where is he at? Here he is showing up at the exact perfect time. I think it's interesting here in verse 7. It says, Mary brought forth her firstborn son. Interesting phrase. That means that Mary had other children after this, just for what it's worth, okay? So, um, it also says here that she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. This is wild because we're talking about Mary, who we've already been told... She's this young virgin in Isaiah 7.14, written 700 years before Jesus' birth. It said, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And see, in this place, here is Mary, and the child is born exactly as prophesied, and through that miraculous conception, proving that the child is the divine Son of God, John 1.14 spoke of Jesus. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. <laughs> You see, I have to be honest, when I think about the Savior of the world coming, the Son of God, God the Son being born and putting on flesh, I sometimes think about like the story of Moses. 
Moses got to be raised as like a prince in the house of Pharaoh, right? You go, Lord, wouldn't you send your son to live a prince's life? Wouldn't you have him be in a place that's the most affluent, most influential family? Where are they at? They're in a manger. The, the baby's in a manger in a stable. They say probably, they probably the, the birth happened probably inside a cave and they stayed inside a stable. You think about that and you're like, this is not a glamorous birth by any means. <laughs> this is so lowly. It would, it would look, it would almost look, I, I, I'm afraid to say it, it almost looks disturbing. If you saw it from the outside, you said, here's this teen lady having a baby with a carpenter, these poor people that came to Bethlehem, and they're in an outdoor stable, and the baby's being put in torn pieces of cloth inside a thing that animals eat out of? That's kind of gross, by the way, right? Animal saliva is a gross thing. They eat out of this. The Savior of the world, God the Son, is being placed in such a thing. You say, Lord, why would you do this, right? But can I tell you, Jesus was born in the same kind of manner in which he would live. You see, we're told in Zechariah 9.9 of the Messiah, it says, Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. Everyone thought, man, our Messiah is coming on like a big old horse, man. He's going to come. He's going to bring charge. Don't get me wrong. That's coming. Amen. He came the first time, perfectly fulfilled. He's coming the next time, literally, just as, just as it says. I believe that. If he fulfilled it literally the first time, it's going to get fulfilled literally his second coming. And I'm excited for that. We all should be. But the reality is in this section, it just reminds us, man, Jesus is lowly and humble. This is so important. Because if we had a Savior who was above us, we couldn't come to Him. In the sense that He says, no, 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 you got to do this, you got to do that, you have to do this thing, you have to be rich like me, you have to be fancy like me, you have to be perfect like me. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28 and 29, He said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Jesus came not to overthrow Rome this first time. He came to give us rest for our souls. <laughs> this is so important because today in 2022, we live in a place where everyone is fighting some kind of anxiety, depression, stress, the chaos of this world, uncertainty of things. And I'll tell you, when you embrace Jesus Christ in faith... <laughs> There's something that changes. You get hope, you get joy, you get peace, and the kind of peace you never knew even existed. Amen? Today, for Christmas, I'll tell you, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ, the greatest gift you could ever receive is the gift of salvation. <laughs> Knowing that your sins are forgiven, you will receive peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 tells us that. And see, as we put our faith in Him, not only are we saved from our sins, but there's this new life that comes and we realize it's what we were created for. We were created to worship Him just as we did a few minutes ago. That's why that felt so right. <laughs> we're gathered as His assembly, as His people, singing His praises. It's the very thing we are made for. But until we submit to Him and say, Lord, You are a humble Savior, You come and I believe in You as Lord and Savior. Until we do that, we won't know that peace. But when you know it, when you come into Jesus, when He says, come into me, and you embrace Him, oh man, life changes, amen? <laughs> 
Everything is better. And let me be clear. I'm not talking prosperity gospel. I say this every week. We're in Texas. I have to be clear. We're not talking about mansions and race cars. Amen. We're talking about peace with God. This is what every man needs because every man is a sinner at war with God until we embrace Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is the birth of Christ. Now we have the announcement of Christ. Take a look at verse 8 through 12. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. <laughs> we have to pause it right there because I think this is very important. There's some really crucial details in here. We go from this lowly scene of no room at the inn for Mary and Joseph and the baby. They're in a stable outside. Baby's in a manger. And you end it there and you're like, man, this is kind of a really, really, I mean, humble is the best word we could say. It's lowly and humble, this scene. Well, then it changes. We're like, okay, well, surely the Lord is going to announce this to kings. He's going to announce this to the rich people. He's going to announce this to the best of the best. There's shepherds in a field. Can I tell you something? First of all, they're on the night shift. I think that's the first thing to note. That's interesting. They're not even the daytime shepherds, right? They're the nighttime shepherds. The most dangerous. Like, hey, if there's someone that we can kind of sacrifice to the criminals, put them out there, right? Like, okay, here go the, night, the nighttime shepherds. Also, shepherds in that time were despised by man, generally speaking, because what they did all day is they dealt with smelly, stinky animals. Animal waste. Animals in general. It's a gross scene. And people said the only only reason you would work a job like that is because you can't be trusted to work a regular job. <laughs> there was an association. If you called someone a shepherd in that day, like it's funny, we use it. Someone come to me like, oh, pastor, you're a good shepherd, right? They'll throw that out there to me. I'm like, I know what you mean. Back in the day, if you call someone a shepherd, you were calling them a criminal. You're calling them a thief because it was associated. You can't get any other job. That's why you work in the fields like that. <laughs> Why was David the shepherd in the family? Because <laughs> he was the little throw-around runt, right? Go shepherd, dude. Go out there. We got real things. We got battles to fight, right? There was this idea that shepherds, man, they're, they're not important. <laughs> but who does God reveal this whole message to? The shepherds. <laughs> the humble and lowly. I think this is important because he comes and he shares this news to them. And I think it's awesome because it's been said that many of the temple sacrifices, the sheeps and lambs, they were raised for the Jerusalem temple in Bethlehem. So if that's the case, these guys are in charge of raising up the lambs for sacrifice. And who gets the first news that the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world has been born? The very people responsible for raising such lamb. I think that's so cool. The Lord says, you're out here just faithfully doing the things you're supposed to be doing. I'm going to reveal myself to you. <laughs> I guarantee you there are people busy with all kinds of other things at time. And the Lord says, I'm going to reveal it to those that are faithfully serving the things for the temple. I think that's pretty awesome. Again, is that proven fact? I can't say that's a fact given in Scripture, but we know that's generally by history. That's where those sheep and lamb came from. I think that's a cool detail. Amen. The Lord says, you do my things, you're going to find out who I am. <laughs> 
I think we've all experienced that as we serve the Lord. The more we serve Him, the more we realize, man, the Lord is good. First of all, to use me, that's, that's ridiculous. And then secondly, that He's faithful to reveal Himself to the lowly, to the humble, if we are willing to hear it. But I think it's interesting in this section. They're out in this dark field. There's this awesome glory around them. <laughs> and I think it, it says they're greatly afraid. We've talked about this before. When you see an angel, you're not going to be like, hey, what's up, dude? Like, let's, let's, let's just like dab it out or something. I don't know. You don't do that with an angel. When you see an angel, you're going to fall on your face. You're going to be terrified. And remember, these guys are shepherds. They're probably thinking, oh, dude, we must have done something. We're going to die right now, they're probably thinking, right? <laughs> this is no good. Why do I know this? Because what does the angel tell them in verse 10? He says, don't be afraid. You guys are clearly afraid. He says, but behold. It's an important word. That means pay attention. He says, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. This is awesome. Because he shows up and says, you don't have to be scared. You think you're going to die for this encounter of the revelation of who God is. <laughs> but you're actually going to find life. This is the gospel, amen? When you hear the gospel, the first part is you have sinned. You have fallen short of the glory of God. That's a scary statement. Because sinners deserve death. They deserve hell. But then God comes forth and says, but here's the good news. Great news. Jesus Christ has died in your place. As you put your trust in Him, what you thought was going to kill you, the message that would kill you, has become a message of life. Amen? You see, 1 Corinthians 1.18 tells us, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us being saved, it's the power of God. When you understand it, you realize this is a great message, and it says it's a great message. Does it say in verse, uh, verse 10 here, it says, which will be to just the Jews? To just the Jewish people? It says to all people. This is so important. Luke is not a Jew writing this, this gospel. He says, the reason I can tell you, Theophilus, that this is great news, because I'm in on this. I'm not Jewish, and I've come into this promise. I came in by faith, he would say. Anyone can come into this good news of Jesus being Lord and Savior by putting your trust in Him. And see, it says here that there was a Savior that was born in the city of David. And he was the Christ, the Lord. <laughs> that says that he's going to save his people. We know he's here to save people from their sins. Mary was told that in Matthew 1, 21. Jesus will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means salvation of Yahweh, right? Yahweh's salvation is here. But it also, we know this, it says he's a savior. He's also the Christ. Remember, Jesus Christ, it's not his first name's Jesus, his last name's Christ, right? <laughs> Christ is a title, a messianic title. He's the one we have been waiting for to deliver us. He's the savior, he's the deliverer, but he's also Lord. We talked about this. So many people want a savior, but no one wants a Lord. <laughs> I want a Messiah that's going to overthrow Rome. Well, you're getting a Messiah that's going to call you to repentance. Well, I don't want that. Then you're going to miss the hope that is promised in the Messiah. We read it in Romans. That's why it became a stumbling block. Jesus became a stumbling block to the Jews because they wanted that deliverer from this world. He says, no, you have to acknowledge I'm not here to exalt you. You are here to exalt me. <laughs> but when you do, I love it. He says, those that humble themselves will be exalted. Luke 14, 11. Put your trust in the Lord and you will see all of this work together for good. Amen? 
But as we refuse it, as we reject it, we're rejecting the very fulfillment of Isaiah 9.6. It said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. <laughs> Jesus is God. Amen. Jesus came and fulfilled all these things of Isaiah 9-6. And we say, well, when is he going to have the government upon his shoulder? Can I just be honest with you? He already does. <laughs> but he's going to come and it's going to be very evident when he returns. Amen? He's going to fulfill the other portions he hasn't fulfilled yet. And he will do so. He will prove himself to be that one of God. God the Son. And he says, how will we know this is true? It says in verse 12, here's a sign. You'll find a baby that's wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. That's the sign? The, babe, the, the Savior's laying in a, in a place where animals eat? You sure this is the Messiah? That doesn't make any sense, right? Isaiah 53, 2 prophesied of the Messiah. It said, when we see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. It's not going to be the kind of thing where, oh man, he's so glorious, but to look at him, he's just beautiful. Oh my gosh, he's just... There was this idea that what would be drawn to him was not our flesh. It was a spiritual draw into the fact that we knew the Word of God and he was fulfilling it. But can I tell you, there's something beautiful. God always uses things that we would say look like broken vessels, amen? <laughs> 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, God puts His power in vessels, broken vessels, His glory in broken vessels, that the excellence of that power may be glorifying Him and not us. People look at us and we're like, how is the Lord using that? And that's the statement. You're like, exactly. The Lord uses broken things. He uses humble things. He uses lowly things. But in that, he gets the glory. <laughs> and see, everyone was probably expecting for the Messiah to show up and ride in again on this great big horse and with some kind of flame sword or something. And they said, that's going to be the Messiah. No. He's human and relatable in that sense. Remember, yes, he is God. He's also completely human. How's that work? We'll figure this out someday, amen? <laughs> but he was born completely human flesh. And he did that so that he could die in place of human flesh. Colossians tells us that if we replace Jesus and say he was just an angel, he was just a spirit, this is problematic. It changes all of the doctrine of Scripture. We have to understand that Jesus loved us so much that he came and put on flesh. God the Son put on flesh and came and died in our place. That's the greatest gift. Amen? <laughs> this is incredible because in this section, it says that this is... Great news, or I'm sorry, good tidings of great joy. The word for good tidings in the Greek is ulangulizo. It's where we get our word evangelism from. The very message that we are to use to evangelize people to come to Jesus is this good news that a Savior has been born. <laughs> when we talk about Jesus is the reason for the season, it's not just because we want to have some kind of political fight and debate with people. It's because this is all about the message of Jesus came. And not only did he come, he lived a perfect life, died in our place, and rose again, proving that he's God the Son. Without all the rest of that, it's just a birth. <laughs> but Jesus came. There's a reason we don't have a celebration of all these other good men. This is the day that reminds us that God put on flesh and came so that he would die in our place for our sins. Amen? It's important to know this is the purpose of Christmas. 
it's not just the birth. Let's be clear, it's about the birth. <laughs> but it leads to all the other things that brought us peace with God as we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if the shepherds were still confused at all, it says in verse 13 and 14, it says, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So these shepherds are like, this is a very bizarre happening out here in the field, out in Bethlehem. <laughs> is this real? One angel's startling enough. But a multitude of heavenly hosts show up. And this is an important title. When we talk about heavenly hosts, we're talking about angelic soldiers. <laughs> and what are the soldiers there to say? God is making peace. What a beautiful message. It didn't, hey, get prepared. You're going to die. It's get prepared. God is making peace and giving you life. This is such an important message. And to show it off, all these angels are singing glory to God in the highest. Only He can be glorified for doing such a thing. Only He can make this happen. And what is it that's happening? It's His goodwill toward men. <laughs> Benevolence towards men. See, Jesus said in John 14, 27, He said, Peace I, live we, I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus said also, I did not come to bring peace on earth. I came to bring a sword. <laughs> Matthew 10, 34. We say, how is that, Jesus? How can you come and bring a sword and say you're not here for peace, but yet tell me that you have the peace of all things? It's because for those that continue to refuse the revelation of God's word, the promises of God, there is a sword. <laughs> We're fighting God if we reject Jesus Christ. But as we embrace Him and accept Him, we'll know a peace that this world could have never given us. Amen? A peace that only Jesus has. A peace in eternity. A peace on this earth. And in that sense, Jesus absolutely brought joy to the world in coming and being born by putting on flesh. But you have to make a decision. You have to say, am I going to choose to believe on this account, on God's word that's been revealed? It tells us in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes upon Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You must believe. You have to hear the Word of God, the revealed Word, and say, do I believe that? Am I going to enter into that peace that's promised? It's offered to me. But I will tell you, if you reject that gift, if you reject that promise, there's a sword. Jesus becomes a stumbling block. And he, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to God except through me. Amen? If you don't come through Jesus, you ain't coming to God. You must put your trust in Jesus Christ. And we have to run and seek Him out urgently. Look at this is how we end here. Look at 15 through 20. It says, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. <laughs> I think this is awesome. 
The shepherds hear the word of God that's revealed to them. There's a Savior that is born, Christ the Lord. That's the message. We've talked about faith comes by hearing and hearing by the... Yeah, that's right. Romans 10, 17, right? The word of God, you hear it. You have to put your trust in it. Well, how do you put your trust in it? You go and examine it. You study it and say, is this true what's been said? Let me apply this and let me see if it's true. The shepherds said, hey, they talked to each other. They're like, that was crazy, right? You imagine that conversation. They're like, did you just see what I just saw, right? There's multiple shepherds there. They're like, we better go check this out. Is this true? Let's go investigate. Let's go see if it's true. Let's see if that sign is there, the baby in the manger. Let's go see if this is the case. And in verse, in verse 16, it says, they came with haste. They didn't say, man, that's really good news. I'm going to wait like a few weeks to go investigate it. <laughs> no man has promised tomorrow. You need to respond to the gospel today. Make haste. If the Lord has revealed something, His truth to you, receive it. Investigate it by applying it and see if it's truth. Can I tell you what happened here? They went and what did they find? A baby in a manger. <laughs> God's word is always true, amen? You won't know until you go investigate it. They could have said, man, that sounds really weird and odd and not fitting to what I thought logically the Messiah would look like. That's what happened to most of the Jews. Most of Israel rejected, not all, there's a remnant, we've talked about this. But many of them said, no, this isn't the Messiah we expected. This is not the Messiah we wanted. These shepherds say, man, that seems like the word of God. <laughs> there's angels, there's this great thing. Who are we? We're just a bunch of shepherds. What do we have to lose, they might say. Let's go investigate it. And when they get there, they see this child here, and I love it. It says in verse 17 that they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. They told everyone there in this public open scene, this outdoor stable of sorts, where people would park their animals when they were going to stay somewhere, right? <laughs> They said, guys, this baby is the Christ. This baby is the Lord. Can you imagine what people thought when weird-looking shepherds showed up and started saying this about a baby in a manger? <laughs> They're like, okay, whatever. Someone's been hitting the eggnog or something, right? I don't know. No, there's no Christmas yet, so maybe not. But <laughs> the reality is they're like, these guys are crazy. These guys don't know what they're doing. But I'll tell you, some people heard it. I will tell you this. We talked about it. The message goes forth. There's some people go, that is truth. I'm going to go seek it out. There's others that say, that is absolute foolishness. That's not our Messiah. That's not my Lord. That's not my God. You have the information in front of you. You have to make a, cho a choice if you're going to put your trust in it. Amen? And see, in this case, they proclaim it. They tell everyone, the Messiah is here. The Christ is here. This is much like in John, I think it's John 1, through 46, where Andrew tells his brother Simon, he says, hey, I found the Messiah, right? Where is he from? Galilee. He's like, nah, I don't know about that, right? He's like, come with me. Come check it out. I'm telling you, you've got to see this, right? Then you had the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. She's there, and she's talking to Jesus. And she realizes in that moment when Jesus is like, oh, you're right, you aren't married. You've been married like eight times or whatever he tells her, right? You've been married a bunch, right? She's like, oh my gosh, you're a prophet, right? Which is funny, like that's the thing that did it for her. And she runs back to the village, and she tells everyone, I have found the Christ. There is a responsibility, an expected response to say, man, when I've received the good tidings of great joy, I'm to go proclaim the good tidings of great joy. 
The shepherds say, we're just shepherds. <laughs> Who are we? They didn't even think about that. They said, this is the Christ. Believe us. He's revealed himself to us. How much more will he reveal himself to all of you? You just have to put your trust in the word that has been revealed by God. Come and step in, investigate it, and apply it to your lives. As all this is happening, it says that people were marveling. <laughs> Again, mixed responses, I'm sure. People are like, this is the weirdest story I've ever heard. And other people are probably like, dude, I'm just so desperate for a savior. I'm so sinful. I'm so terrible. I just need a savior. <laughs> I'll take this news from these lowly messengers because I need this for my life. You see, there's a humility in that. Amen? To say, man, when I'm lowly and I identify that, man, I'm a sinner in need. I'm ready to receive some good news. <laughs> But when I'm exalted and I say, no, I want my way or the highway, that doesn't fit my life, that doesn't fit my box, you're going to miss the greatest peace that has ever been promised to mankind. The only peace with God that has been offered to mankind. Amen? I think it's interesting. It says that, and we're almost done, it says that Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. You say, what does that mean? What do you think she was considering? We already talked about this. Joseph and Mary had angelic visitations as well. They knew what was going on. But I think in this moment, Mary says, we're out in a stable in Bethlehem. Away from where we thought we'd have the child, but we know we had to be born in Bethlehem. The Lord used a tax census, a registration, to bring us here at this time, in this way. And I think she's looking and going, man, I could not have drawn this up in any way. These shepherds, these men have come in from the field and they're proclaiming that they heard the same news that we already know. And she's probably going, thank you, Lord, for that promise. Thank you, Lord, for that confirmation in my life that I have been living for. Because <laughs> imagine, when you're in the Lord and there's no one else getting saved, that can almost be a bummer, right? You're like, man, is this, is this real? But then you start seeing other people come and go, man, the Lord did a very different thing, but the same thing at the same time in my life. Does that make sense? See, my testimony might be way different than yours, but it's the same result. I once was blind, but now I see. Amen? All of us have different testimonies, different stories, and praise the Lord for those. I think there's very important need for people to share their testimony mixed with the Word of God. We've seen Paul do this in Scripture. And the reality is, we need to understand that we have a responsibility to share the gospel. And as we do, it not only brings others in, but it, it confirms and affirms the things that our fellow brethren, brothers and sisters have received in the Lord. Again, test all things with Scripture, amen? But their word of God matched the word of God that Mary had received. And she says, this is the work of the Lord, that this child is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And what happens when we embrace these things? Can I tell you? Change happens. <laughs> The grace that saves us is a grace that changes us. The good news of Jesus will change our lives. Look at how verse 20 ended here. It says, the shepherds return, but they're different now. Look what they're doing. They're glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. You see, you and I were once a certain way before we came to Jesus Christ. I pray that there's a marked difference, amen, that we left going, man, I don't like that anymore. It may have been clunky for a while. I get it. But at some point, there's enough time where you look back and go, man, there's a change that occurred because of that good news of Jesus Christ. And as we do it, what do we do? We rejoice in God's goodwill, in His favor, and His willingness to come and put on flesh to die in our place. 
And when we leave, we're glorifying Him, we're praising Him. But all of this begins with God revealing Himself to the lowly. Are you humble enough to admit that you need a Savior today? Are you lowly enough to say, man, I am willing to believe the Word of God? Because when you do, can I tell you, it gets easier and easier because He proves Himself. Amen? He proves Himself over and over. And Luke 1.37 says, nothing with God will be impossible. Everything will be possible with God. You just have to trust Him. You have to submit to Him. People don't like submission. Amen? <laughs> we still have to, this flesh in us that fights God. We have to yield to the Spirit of God. But as we do, there's this miraculous change that happens in us. And we leave glorifying Him, praising Him for all the things that He has shown us, all the things that He has told us. And I'll tell you this morning, we're all going to leave here and do our Christmas thing, right? <laughs> You're going to interact with family members, with friends, and co-workers this week. Are you telling them, in the way that you live that you have received the good tidings of great joy of Jesus Christ. Can they say, man, that guy's different. Even though I didn't know him before, he's different than me. He's different than them. Why is that? Because he's embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You see, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. Why is that? Because 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for in him, for through him, he made him our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. We should be rejoicing and everyone should know that our purpose on this planet is to rejoice in who Jesus is. Amen? To tell everyone there are good tidings of great joy. Evangelizo, right? Evangelize the world about the birth of the Savior. Why? Because it led to the cross, it led to His resurrection that has led to our salvation. We have something to rejoice over today. There is nothing worse than a bitter Christian. We need to have the joy that the world doesn't know about. We need to have the peace that the world doesn't know about. We need to have the hope that the world doesn't know about. And all of that is found in Christ alone. Amen? Amen. So blessed to have you guys here with us this morning for Christmas. I'm so stoked that you guys came out. It was cold out and it's Christmas Day. And you're here. Praise the Lord for that. Seriously, I'm so blessed that we're all together this morning. It's awesome. And so... With that said, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Why don't you go ahead and stand and we'll sing a song together. But let me pray.